0: Well, good morning once again. We are so glad to have you here with us this day, and I am particularly excited to have you here with us on this day for worship. That is indeed our purpose for being here, and our purpose for being here is rooted in our scripture. And so this day we are hearing a scripture lesson from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Just before the text that I'm about to read come the Beatitudes, and a few weeks ago, Leah, in her common prayer, quoted from the Beatitudes. These are very familiar words to us. They're words of blessing. They start off with the blessings that Jesus offers, and in those blessings, we hear what's often characterized as the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, the upside-down nature. God surprises us. It goes against our expectations sometimes. And again, that is what we are as a church, a place where we learn about following Jesus, where we learn about being ones who are called to see the world a little differently, to see the world through the lens of our Creator. These Beatitudes start off a section of Matthew's Gospel, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount contains many familiar texts to us, even if we don't know that they're contained within that, uh, that sermon, What's interesting, though, is that the Sermon on the Mount is seen as the start of the public ministry of Jesus. And so think about that context as we look at Matthew chapter five verses 13 through 16. "You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word and pray that your word might be revealed to us this day in a new way. Amen. I've always been somewhat afraid of the dark. I say somewhat because my rational self tells me that I have nothing to be afraid of, and yet I still find myself doing what I used to do as a kid. It's the sort of sprint from one light switch to another. I don't know if you do this or not. When turning off a light in the house, especially before going to bed, I'll look ahead to the next opportunity for a light to to turn off, and then switching off the nearby light, I'll run to the next one. I should say that I'm sort of automated now in the house and it's controlled, but I still find myself doing it. And so, yes, I say somewhat that I've always been somewhat afraid of the dark. I'm convinced, though, that part of this fear comes from being in the light so much, so much of our lives. And I, I wonder if people who live without electricity or regular access to light experience the same type of aversion to darkness that I've experienced throughout most of my life. So I find that I avoid the darkness. I tend to have the lights on when I'm awake and I keep a flashlight handy most of the time, you know, just in case, especially here now at night during the summer, right? Outside, I always have a flashlight in case there's a visitor in the parking lot. But I've also grown less fearful of the darkness, most of the time. It's taken me some time and it's taken some effort, and I'm not sure how consciously deliberate I've been about it, and maybe it's just the practicality of adult life. I can't avoid darkness completely. But over the years of my life, that fear has receded a little bit, and my relationship with darkness has indeed changed. You are the light of the world. If you asked me the question, who is the light of the world, and I hadn't already heard this morning's scripture passage or I wasn't familiar with the text, I think that I'd give the Sunday school answer to the question. And you all know what that means, right? Jesus. I might even think of other beacons of light in my life, or beacons of light that I've seen in history. There was a child who was in church, and his mother pointed up to stained glass windows of saints and said, who are those people? And the boy said, those are the ones where the light shines through, (laughs) the saints. But not you and me. But this is exactly what Jesus is telling the people. Now, I gave this away a little bit, but who's the audience there? His friends are with him, sure. The disciples are there. And, and I think it would be easy for me if we said, okay, the disciples are among those who are the lights of the world. We could look at them and say, sure, they were ordinary, but then they became extraordinary, right? But I already told you that this was the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount on this, this field, a, a hilltop perhaps, but a field— In Palestine, an occupied place, right? The Roman Empire occupied this place at that time. And these people all came to that place. They heard there was a man who was teaching, and the crowd grew and grew and grew. These were not people who knew Jesus. This was, as I said, the start of his public ministry. And so when Jesus is looking out and saying, you are the light of the world. He's looking at everyone. Yes, his disciples are with him, but so are these other crowds. And friends, he does not look out and say, you and you are the light of the world. But you folks, especially in the terrace, not quite the light of the world. And you folks over there, You might be someday the light of the world. And this isn't even an encouragement, right? An encouragement or some sort of aspirational statement. It's not an invitation to explore what it might mean to become the light of the world. It isn't a goal that you can succeed at or fail at. It isn't a challenge. Jesus isn't saying like some salesperson, would you like to be the light of the world? Yes, I would. Or like a late night infomercial pitching a miracle product for two easy payments of 19.99 plus shipping and handling, whatever that is. No CODs allowed, right? It's not like that. Jesus isn't using fear either. There's no intimidation. There's no pressure to succeed like we experience so much in our lives. Become the light of the world, the best light ever. Better than your neighbor. No. Jesus looks out at this mosaic of people who have gathered to hear his words, and he looks at them in the eyes, and he says, you are the light of the world. To each of us, to all of us, to you and to me, you are the light of the world. And friends, there is something about the Son of God, the incarnate creator of earth and humanity. There is something about being called the light of the world by the Savior that should make us pause and stop and think for a moment about our being defined in this way. You are the light of the world. And the immediate next thing that Jesus says, and often, friends, the next thing is often more important than the first thing that Jesus says that's so surprising. Because this, this next important takeaway, the next thing Jesus says is that the light, your light, shouldn't be hidden. Don't hide your light. You're the light of the world. Don't hide it. Don't hide it under a bucket or a bushel. But light... It's so intimately related to darkness, isn't it? On Christmas Eve, even though it happens every year, I am still struck every time by the image, the captivating image of the way that a single flame taken from our Christ candle in the darkened sanctuary spreads among the room and soon the whole room is aglow with the light of Christ. In a darkened sanctuary, it begins. You see, if we tried this today, if we had the ushers hand out candles right now, if we tried to douse the house lights and pass the flames, we'd be woefully disappointed, wouldn't we? We'd have some flickering light for sure. It would be fun. There'd be a little bit of ambiance. But friends, make no mistake about it. Light needs to find darkness or it is of little value. Light needs to find darkness. Jesus encourages his disciples. He says, bring your light. To all those people who are gathered, he says, bring the light to a dark and broken world. The light is that light of the gospel, the good news, the light of Jesus Christ the light that draws people to its warmth and radiance. And my friends, again, I say that light needs to find darkness. And that is the very mission of the church, of all churches, of all who seek to be followers of Jesus, of each of us, of this congregation. This is our very mission, to bring the light to those darkest places of the world, to bring the light to all people. This has been the mission of the church from the very beginning and throughout every age. Archbishop William Temple is often quoted as saying, the church is the only organization on earth that exists for those who are not its members. In order for the light to be seen, we must be willing to go where the darkness exists, to engage and walk through it, so that in time the light Can overcome it. We must go to those dark places bearing the light of Christ. You see, you are the light of the world, but you are not the light of the world for your own personal enjoyment. You are the light of the world because you are called to shine that light. What does this mean? What does it look like to do this? We have some work to do To understand what it is to be called into a life of identity as being that light of the world. And even more so, we have the opportunity to understand where the light of Christ needs to shine in our own hearts and within our own dark places. So you see, there's an internal exploration of being willing to go into our own dark places to see where it is that we need Christ to shine in our lives. This takes some work, and it isn't accomplished without us putting in the effort. It's not an easy thing to do, to go into our dark places, to be vulnerable with ourselves and hopefully with others, to give words and recognition to our pain and our struggles. And all of the contours of our inner landscape so that we can begin to understand how God is bringing light into all of who we are. Our sorrows, our grief, our loss, all of who we are. Equally important, though, is for us to be understanding what this light means. And who brings this light? Understanding God and God's claim on your life is your very calling in life. It's why we exist. We were created in the image of God, and we then live our lives trying to understand, seeking to understand what that means and what that looks like. If all of this was easy, my friends, if it was clear, if it was downloadable, if you could go get it on the internet, it wouldn't be called faith. It wouldn't be called faith anymore. This is this journey of life that we're on, of following God. And so following takes some effort. Seeking does take some engagement on our part. I've shared with many of you that there are three opportunities that God has given us, at least three, but three I want to share with you, that God has given us for growth in our lives, for ways that we can begin to understand further what it means to not just be the light of the world, but to be these ones created in the divine image. The first one I've already talked about a little bit, being vulnerable with ourselves and with one another, being honest about the darkness in our lives, learning to share the stories of our lives here in this place with one another, confronting by sharing the things that we carry in our lives. You see, we're so good at running from the darkness, aren't we? Sometimes we even come to church and and think that we can find no darkness here, that we can leave our darkness at the door. Some people come here precisely to escape it, to get a dose of life, of light, and life, but of light. But to truly know the source of the light, to truly experience God's love for us, we need to be willing to embrace the darkness of our own experience and see those dark spots in our lives as a gift, a gift to be able to know God and know one another more. Friends, you have a story to tell. We have stories to tell one another. And we have others with us on the journey who have stories that need to be heard. So that first one, vulnerability, the willingness to be honest and share our story, and to hear and listen to the stories of others. The second is the gift of scripture. This one's a little easier, but sometimes it's hard to make it happen. But there are always ways to tiptoe into scripture. I've talked to many of you who've said, yeah, I just never really read the Bible. Or the, the harder one is when people say, oh yes, I've started at the beginning of the Bible and started reading through it, And they usually fall off somewhere around, well, it's either early or it's around lamentations, I think. But the Friday email that comes out talking about the upcoming Sunday always has a link to the upcoming scripture for the next Sunday. You can read that, click on the link and read it, or even better, read the whole chapter surrounding that text. If you prefer to flip through pages and don't have a Bible at home, let us know. We'll get you one. That's how seriously we take this. We have a number of Bible study groups that meet here at church. Pastor Leah was sharing with our new members that if they wanted to lead a Bible study, they could even do that. I say that to all of us. But we have several that already are happening In the new year, we're going to have a few more. I'm going to be leading a Bible study on Thursday afternoons that will spend an hour talking about the text for the upcoming Sunday. No preparation needed and no wrong answers. How's that for an easy tiptoe, right? Pastor Leah is starting a new evening Bible study and Mike is consistently ensuring that we have opportunities on Sunday mornings and throughout the week to engage with Scripture. Indeed, there are lots of opportunities for you to have a facilitated time with scripture, but those aren't the only ways, right? Another way is to find a friend, to to connect with someone else and say, will you join me on a journey of reading scripture with me? We can give you resources if you need them to help you along the way. If all else fails, open your Bible right to the middle and start reading the Psalms. Look for your voice in these prayers of the Psalms. Listen for your heart in the words of the psalmist. Or maybe read a gospel over the period of ad- leading up to, to Christmas, over Advent, as we prepare our hearts for Jesus. Open yourself up, perhaps, during that time. You see, we can help you with this journey with Scripture. This is a gift from God that God has given to all of us, but you have to choose to take the journey. It isn't hard, but you have to choose to do it the third is prayer so prayer together with scripture and sharing the stories of our journeys prayer is a way for us to continue our connection to god to begin again and again this journey of understanding the source of the light and also to connect with god and strengthen us as we seek to be and bring the light into our our world and into our own our own darkness so where do you start with prayer There's no wrong way to pray. My hope, though, is that in the coming year, in the coming, really, the coming chapter of our journey together, that we will explore more and equip you with ways to pray. As your pastors, we'll share with you ways that have been effective to us. We'll pray alongside you. I know in Mike's Christianity 201 course, they often include tools for meditation and prayer. For some people, like I said, praying the Psalms can be a, an entryway to, to use words that have been prayed for centuries to bring those words into your life. For others, praying with someone else or having someone else pray for them can be a way to learn and begin to pray. Our Stephen ministers, Stephen ministers are members of this church who specifically want to walk alongside others on their journeys. They're available after worship every Sunday to pray with you. It's such a gift that they offer, and I hope that you'll avail yourself to it. It's quite special to have someone else's words be prayed over you. Again, there's no right way. Lighting a candle can be an act of prayer. Singing silently can be, sitting silently can be an act of prayer. I know for one friend of mine, prayer is a morning run. Another connects with God through drawing. Some people have explored writing poetry as a method of prayer. For others, it's writing a letter to God. I even found a website where you can type in your prayer to God. I don't know what happens when you press send, but if that works for you, give it a try. Pray. The next two months, through Christmas, and into Dr. Abrams' retirement celebration, we are going to have an opportunity to have a continued time of gratitude for all that this church has been and all that it is today. So much good has happened since those first days in the Glenmore community room, before we had any buildings here, while this church was still just a dream. And so much has happened in the last 15 years of Wes's pastorate. You see, The light continues to shine bright in this congregation. Thanks be to God for that. And as we continue into a new year and a new chapter together, our question as a church and as individuals, our question, our question and our shared ministry will be, what does it mean to be salt and to be light? Who are we? What are we to do? These aren't easy questions, but they get to the root of our identity. Jesus tells those people who are gathered on that hillside, let your light shine before others so that they may see and give glory to God. Friends, you are salt and you are light. Let's explore together what this means for us.